Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Grasshopper.com. Save $50 on your order at www.TryGrasshopper.com forward slash Paratruth. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when an ancient view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin, and tonight we've got an awesome episode for you guys. It's going to be a true crime episode. I'm going to be bringing on a very special co-host on. But first, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, for those of you listening at Paranormal UK Radio Network, Fringe Radio Network, TMV Cafe, and paratruthradio.com. Let's get ready to expose some lies. So tonight I'm bringing on a guest co-host. You know her from Talk Supernatural, as well as her book, The Daughter of Siva, my good friend, Heidi Linden. Welcome back, Heidi. Thanks for having me. I am geeked. (laughs) So it's been quite a while since you've done your podcast, what's been going on since then? Oh, God, I so miss podcasting, and now you've given me the bug again. <laughs> um, well, we we took a break, which ended up being a really long break. Um, we opened up a, a coffee juice bar, and that has just sort of sucked our life up. Um, and so now we're running that and haven't had any kind of podcast. But between writing and podcasting, I think that's like totally where my heart's at. Yeah. Well, I, I've been for a long time since getting started into this. I always wanted to do radio. And now that I've learned some things about traditional radio and traditional media, I'm kind of glad I'm doing it this way. Yeah. When I used to do, um, I used to do a local FM radio station in Milwaukee and absolutely loved it and was on for two and a half years. But, there are a lot of rules, and once you have to start following those rules, you feel really boxed in, but podcasting rocks because you can just sort of do your own thing. Well, the one thing that um, Justin Fall had told me once is he, he's gone to school for, for media, and one of the biggest things that they had told him when he was doing this is you do what you're told to do. You cannot deviate from a certain mindset or aspect if you deviate from that you risk getting fired and it's like wow i'm yeah. really glad that i didn't even pursue it so yep that's what happened with me and i'm I'm glad that you know it was a meeting of the minds as far as me leaving the station and i was just i didn't want to but at the same time it was like if you can't be yourself you can't say what you want to say it's like what's the point right exactly so 
we decided to do a true crime episode for this week, and the reason behind that is there was a specific uh, case that actually Heidi got to be, uh, I don't know what you would say, consulted on. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. They called me in to consult, my husband Scott and I. And um, so before we talk about how you guys got pulled into it, let's kind of go over the meat and potatoes of what this was all about. It was a um, October 2014 case. Uh, the girl's name was Kelly Cochran, and um, she's now in jail probably for the rest of her life um, for uh, murdering two men, and it happened in Iron River, Michigan. And since um, I had helped the sheriff of Iron River in the past um, on some case, a personal case, um, she called me in to help her with this one. Okay. So was this before you had kind of renounced the the mediumship stuff, or was this after? This was after. um, I about, let's see, it was probably about 16 years ago, I, when I was doing the, the radio station that I was talking about earlier, um, a sister or a friend or something of this police officer had, you know, told me, hey, you know, we need your help. And so I went out to Michigan to help them with this personal case of theirs. And it's it's a phenomenal story, which it's totally a different show. <laughs> I won't get into it, but a lot of spiritual aspects to it. And it was it was life altering for this family. And in that 16 years that passed, um, that police officer became the sheriff of Iron River. And um, she ended up, or I should say I sought her out um, because I had a dream one night out of the blue, hadn't really been in touch with her much, um, and I had a dream one night that I was speaking to her. And it was such a, an odd dream. It was one of those dreams that you knew was more spiritual than um, an emotional or mental dream. And so... I couldn't get her out of my mind for the next couple of days, so I went online and searched her out and um, contacted the police station and asked if she was still there and if she was, if just to say hi and whatnot. And she called me and said, oh, my gosh, I've been thinking about you the last couple of days. I really need your help on a case, and I didn't know how to get a hold of you. So it was pretty cool how it all began. <laughs> well, and maybe that's how you kind of got the message because she was thinking about you. She had this case. So God kind of intervened and said, hey, wake up, call this lady. Yeah. They need your help. It was really cool. And when, when, uh, she actually, we went out there, um, to Michigan because I'm in Wisconsin. So it was, it was, I think like a 13 hour drive. And, uh, I mean, I cried when I saw her because it was like seeing an old friend. I mean, we got really close on the case that I had helped her with previously. And, um, it was, it was pretty cool how all that worked out. So Kelly Cochran, it, it, just reading the the article about this case was kind of blood curling because this is it's such an odd case because <laughs> she was having an affair with this guy. She was married to Jason Cochran. Uh, Chris Regan was it Regan Regan? <laughs> uh, Chris Regan. I uh, and so. The article that I read compared to some of the stuff that was later in the article said that uh, her husband, Jason, had decided to 
tell her, you know, I'm going to kill this guy. And then she calmed him down and said, well, then you're going to have to prove to me that you're over this and lure Chris Regan here so that I can kill him. Basically, it was the rundown, right? Yeah, basically. And it's, you know, with with Kelly, it's really hard because if anybody knows anything about sociopaths, this was definitely Kelly or is, I should say. Um, So even with what she tells was, we still don't know the truth other than the fact that she did take part in the murder of Chris Reagan and then later her husband, Jason. Um, And to this day, she swears that she's killed many more people, which we do believe she has. So, but we just, you know, with her details, we're not really sure what's true and what's not. Right. Um, but yeah, the story goes when, when, uh, the sheriff, uh, contacted me from Iron River, when she contacted me, um, basically at the time it was a missing person case of Chris Reagan. And, um, but she was convinced that, that he was murdered and that she needed proof. And this is a really small town in Michigan, and they don't have, I mean, they only have a a handful of people out there to help with a case like this, and they were busy on other cases. So she sort of took this upon herself. Um, And so she's like, you know, if you could just help me get started with this, because basically she she knew that Kelly was involved, um, but she just didn't know how to get a, a search warrant. She needed some kind of proof. And the reason that they couldn't find anything was because he had been missing for two weeks before anybody reported him missing. Um, he was actually planning on moving uh, out of state. He was moving to, I want to say, North Carolina um, for a job. And um, a friend of his, uh, her name was Terry, uh, was, you know, in contact with him and she was from Michigan and, and, you know, he let her know I'm going to be leaving in a couple of days. He was packing up, getting ready to go. And he told her he contacted her before he left and he never did. And so she just sort of assumed that he just didn't call her or whatever. And then two weeks passed and she still hadn't heard from him, not even from North Carolina. So she started trying to contact people that knew him and they said he never got to North Carolina. And so she went to his apartment, which he had rented from her parents. So she had access. She, you know, went there and she saw all his stuff was still there. And she was like, oh my gosh, something's not right. So that's when she went to the police station and now two weeks have passed. So, you know, in that two weeks, evidence is just totally gone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she went to the police and, and the police started, you know, searching and uh, they did find his car and his car was in a park and ride. Uh, not real close to, to where they were at, but uh, was, I think, the outlining city. And in the car was uh, Kelly Cochran's address, a little thing written down. And so they tied it into her, and then she worked with Chris. So people at work were saying, yeah, you know, they're having this affair. And there was a lot of stuff that the article didn't tell, like um, – the reason that, that the sheriff brought me in other than, you know, she felt that, you know, people like to call me a psychic and I'm not real fond of that, as you know. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I do pray and I ask God to help me with things. And, and he does. If, you know, if anything you ask God, he's going to help you with. And so, you know, I asked for some kind of answer in this. And when I got out there on my way up there, I was getting all kinds of things and I was writing it down on my notebook. And it just, it really led to a lot of neat details to the, to the case. And one of the things was there was a lot of mental illness involved. 
uh, between Kelly being a sociopath and her husband, Jason, um, he was uh, schizophrenic and he had just um, been released from a mental institution. So they were thinking that the husband had killed Chris, you know, and they didn't know what was going on. Was it Kelly? Was it her husband? Well, and like you said, with with a sociopath, that's kind of hard to determine. So my question would be, and I'm sure you don't have the answer to it. I don't think anybody does except for her. But, um, you know, was it to the point that she willingly participated or did she only do it because her husband was about ready to kill him anyways? Did, did you have any insight on that part of it? Um, well, as far as spiritually, no, but I, I knew that there was a lot of dark stuff involved, but I, I knew, I really felt that she wanted to, to kill Chris. And the reason being is that she was in her way in love with Chris. She was, I mean, he was someone that, I mean, he was a, he was a really good looking guy. He was active. He was fun. He had a great job. He was just, you know, he was a really nice guy and she fell for him. And I think she thought there was more going on, even though it was just sort of a, an affair between them. Um, but I think what had happened was when he was deciding to move, I think she felt abandoned. And I, I'm saying all this based off of, I mean, I watched the, the tapes, the interviews with her when we went out there. We watched the, the, inter, the police interviews okay. um, and just other things that was shared with me as far as the transcripts for other interviews and such. Um, just by things she said, I think that that's what it was, was that she felt abandoned. And I think maybe she thought she would escape her husband because she, she just had a really weird relationship with her husband. And I think she wanted to take off and be with Chris. And when he was leaving, I think she was angry about that. So I think it was more, and and then she goes to say that she's killed other people before. So it wasn't like a one-time deal, like, oh, let's blame it on my husband. I mean, if she had killed other people, then this certainly wasn't hard for her. Right. Well, the one thing that struck me on, on this with the, being a sociopath and everything was at the end of this article, she was talking to the sheriff and um, she had said that um, she asked the sheriff if, or asked Ogden if she had emotions or knew how to love and told her, you feel emotion, talking to the detective, I can't. And that is like number one for a sociopathic and serial killer. Um, I mean, doing the, uh, paranormal investigation at Jeffrey Dahmer's house and doing some research on him. It was the same thing. He, he had no feelings when he killed, right. there was no feelings there. He was in love with his victims, quote unquote, but, he had no remorse for killing them. Right. It's almost like that is their, their act of passion. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to act on that passion or that feeling. So killing is a way, I don't know if it releases them from that or if it's a way of, they feel that that bonds them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, yeah, it was, it was very strange. And, and watching the tapes of Kelly, I mean, it was, you could tell just by her face. Now, I don't, I don't, I know you're probably a little familiar with Jody Arias because I follow that case very closely. And same thing. It's just 
they've got this blank emotion, these dark eyes, and, and this. And I, I believe there's such a link, especially in this case, to demonic influences. And the reason for that is that when the first time we went out to Michigan to help with this case, we sort of uh, it was my husband and Scott and myself and the sheriff. Uh, her name's Laura Frizzo. Uh, she's no longer the sheriff there, but um, so we sort of came up with this idea that we were going to go to Kelly's house and I was going to confront Kelly. And don't ask me why I agreed to this, but I was all for it at the time. Um, but we, you know, they were, they felt Kelly and her husband, Jason felt like they were being harassed by the police. And obviously that was because, you know, they were guilty. Um, but so the sheriff didn't want them to know that she was with me. So my husband and I came up with this story that we were walking around the neighborhood looking for a house to buy or rent or whatever. And so we were going to, I was going to go up to the house, knock on the door and ask them if they knew anything, you know, about the neighborhood and such. And in the meantime, I was going to get a feel from the house and see if I could pick anything up from that. And I'm one of those people that I have to, be in the area, I have to touch something, and I, I will get something from that. So I guess, and I guess in a way, I, I don't know, I was thinking maybe I was going to say something to her and see if I could get her to admit, because I knew the sheriff was there behind the house, and, and so was my husband, so I felt okay. Uh, so when I walked up to the house, there, a car was in the driveway, and I knocked on the door, and when I knocked on the door, like spiritually, I heard all this like screaming and and like screeching kind of noise like i i guess in a way it could be like nails on a chalkboard but it was a spiritual audio not physical and it it right away instantly i got okay there is like a lot of mental illness a lot of demonic stuff going on in that house i could hear it and they were home they didn't come to the door and so i just left um so luckily i wasn't face to face with them but um, at that point, I had told the sheriff that, you know, I definitely think that they are involved and, and there's more to this than what they're telling, obviously. And now we know because this was back in 2014. Or actually, I take it back to 2015. The, uh, Chris went missing in October 2014. And uh, we went out there in, I want to say, February of 2015. So this was a little while before she had killed uh, Jason then. Right. Uh, after, after, uh, Jason and Kelly killed Chris, um, then I think it was like, uh, 16 months later, she killed her husband after they had fled the state and everything. And, um, and we can get into, into that too, if you want. Um, but she basically over, uh, gave her husband, Jason, an overdose of heroin and then suffocated him and killed him. And she said it was because she was resentful that he made her partake in killing Chris. You know, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what she story she sticks to to this day. Right. And but, I I did see that. What the one thing that came to mind for that was because she's a sociopath, she felt guilt for killing Chris, whether that was participating or actually being his demise altogether, her her redemption, I think, in her mind was killing Jason because it was, in her words, his idea to kill him. Right, yeah. And she had called 
911 and and you can I mean a lot of the stuff you can find all online but the 911 tapes of her calling um and they were in Indiana now um and she was saying that you know she doesn't know why he won't he won't wake up she thinks he overdosed um and so from that is you know they knew that she obviously was being investigated in Michigan so they were sort of bridging things over and one thing I had told the sheriff uh, the second time we were out there, I had told her that if we do not solve this and get Kelly in jail, someone else is going to die. And I didn't realize that it was going to be Jason, but I knew that someone else was going to you know, be killed. And I knew it wasn't going to end well. And her and, her and Jason were just a, a very strange couple and when we went to their house it was it was just you know it was in shambles and just something eerie you know like there's always one house on the block (laughs) right like their house well with two people with mental illness being together i mean that alone yeah and um i forget the name of the investigators but there was uh the two uh paranormal investigators that it was a murder-suicide Oh, right. Yep. And I know what you're talking about. there was some speculation that there was mental illness there. It was an abusive relationship, you know, and there's a lot of people that were saying that there was there was a spiritual aspect to that case as well, which there could have been. But when you're mixing mental illness in with it and and spiritual attack on top of that, then it's going to be that much worse. And in your honest opinion, you felt that way about this case, right? Oh, most definitely. I just, I felt there, I felt Jason was, had, had a, a sickness, uh, you know, he was schizophrenic and, and what other, other issues he had. But with Kelly, I felt it was more spiritual, um, definitely more of a demonic influence. So just the combination of the two was just like an explosion. Um, you know, Kelly was having a, a long-term affair with Chris and uh, Jason was aware of it for a while. And this wasn't the first time that she had cheated on her husband, Jason. And she ended up saying that, you know, she's, uh, that her and Jason had this pact that if she, uh, cheated on him, that they would have to kill the person that she was cheating on him with. And she was saying this as a matter of fact, like we've killed past boyfriends before. Um, but she didn't go farther into that. What are the things that, um, I had told the sheriff we went out there and and I really felt that uh, Kelly had something of Chris's uh, with her and that if they could find whatever she had, then you know that would link her to to Chris to the to the death of Chris. And you know um, one of the things Kelly told the sheriff later on was that she kept a trinket of all the people she's killed. And she kept it in a bag and buried it somewhere. So that sort of went along with, with what I told the sheriff. And when we went out there the first time, we went searching. She asked me, you know, uh, it was winter, and so it was really hard for them to use any kind of, you know, dogs or anything to, to look for Chris's body. So we just went walking around. Uh, There's a lot of land out there, a lot of landfills. And she wanted to know where I thought he was at. And everywhere I was like, okay, it's like I felt he was here. And then we'd go somewhere else. I'm like, no, I feel he's here. And I just, it was weird for me because I I couldn't 
find one spot and year was it a year later we found out that her Kelly and Jason had um, dismembered Chris with a saw and buried his body in all different places and so that's probably why I felt that he was here and there and everywhere else well that's kind of I think that might be a kind of a serial killer thing too because Dahmer did the same thing with his first victim Stephen Hicks where yeah. he dismembered him and then spread him throughout the his backyard. Um, so that might be, I mean, that's just probably their way of trying to cover it up or not be able to find the whole body. So they they have kind of a jab at the police saying, oh, you didn't find all of him. So I've always had this theory that, that when, when serial killers or people with mental illness dismember somebody, because that's very common, like you were saying, um, I always felt that maybe psychologically to them, if they dismember somebody, it's a way for them to say, this isn't a person, this is a thing. Like they're taking away their body parts in separate parts, so it's not a whole person. That's okay. why I always felt that, why they did that. That, uh, that could be a good possibility. I, I'm, Sure, with uh, both Jeffrey Dahmer and with Kelly as well, that was probably a huge part of it because then they didn't need to feel remorse. Right. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> one, the one other thing that I found fascinating about this case for when she went to kill Jason was her story is is he wanted to get high. He had never done drugs before. This is her story, so I don't know how true it really is. But for first and foremost, for a schizophrenic to do drugs is not a good idea, at least illegal drugs. For medications, it's different. But for a schizophrenic to go say, hey, I want, I want to get high on heroin or get high in general, most of the time they know not to do that because it's going to exacerbate their condition. And right. when I read that, and of course, like you said, the article doesn't say he was schizophrenic, but for a guy who has never been high before, never had a, a drug problem before, say, hey, I want to get high, I want to get high on heroin, that's like jumping from zero to a hundred in a car in, in, <laughs> in like five seconds. And to me, that part of it was like super fishy. And when I first read the article, I missed the part where it said that he was high on heroin because then I read she climbed onto his lap and then smothered him by covering his mouth and nose. I'm like, was she 500 pounds? How did she get on his lap and then he didn't thrash? So I had missed the he was high on heroin part. But um, once I had read it at the, at the end and I saw he had never been high before had no drug problems before she had it's like yeah that doesn't sound right to me yeah yeah i and i don't know a whole lot about him other than what was documented but i do know like he's a he's a big guy or he was jason was a really big guy and kelly's a lot smaller so she knew probably the only way to to kill him would be to you know knock him out that way. Okay. And 
being a drug addict as she was, she would have known the right dosage for somebody that size, I'm sure, too. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Hey Hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. So the one thing that uh, we keep coming back to is there was a spiritual aspect to this, and you had felt that um, Kelly was plagued by some type of spiritual attack. And there's been numerous talks. You've heard it on this show. You guys used to talk about it on Talk Supernatural about the uh, mental illness being somehow connected to, to spiritual attack. Um, when you were hearing the screeching and stuff, did you feel that was more so from a, a demon or, or spiritual entity, or did you feel that you were catching like an echo of, uh, uh, what's his name? Chris being killed. And that's what you were picking up on. What, what were your thoughts on that? Um, I think that I was picking up on the spiritual element of what what went on the night that Chris was killed. I think the screeching that I was hearing, and I, I, I my husband's a carpenter and, and stuff, so I know what a you know electrical saw sounds like, and so I think the screeching I was hearing was that sound of the saw, and I think the howling and the the demonic noises I was hearing. I feel like that was what was going on that night. Um, like it was like a, God was giving me an insight so that I understood. Because I think one of the things that, you know, and police have have a job to do, and they do it well. And that's why people like myself can come in and help and give them another angle. Because if we can understand people, you can solve things a little bit better because you can that's, – that's where the sheriff was – seeking my help is if she, if we could she could understand them a little bit better she could try a different angle to to catch them right and so um i i really felt that yeah there there was something spiritual whether it was just going on that night or longer with kelly and you know it sounds like it was probably going on a lot longer but i i did have that that insight and when we had first got there the very first time because we went out there twice two different times um to michigan and the first time uh the sheriff uh, took me to his car, which was an impound. And as soon as I got to the car, I had the most painful headache. It, like I felt like I got hit in the head with a bat in the back of my head. And I instantly knew that that he had a blow to the head in the back, and I let her know that. And, um, and ultimately, they found out that he was shot in the back of the head. Um, she did bring on a uh, – she had a, a friend who I guess knew a psychic um, – and I guess that psychic had pretty much said the same thing. So she knew that, you know, if she could, you know, maybe hint to Kelly that she knew, 
you know, she was just trying all different things. And, but Kelly was like, was like stone. Kelly avoided her every, every, that's why they ended up uh, taking off to Indiana because uh, that's where uh, her family was from. But they took off because they knew they were going to get caught. I mean, it was just narrowing closer and closer. And once that snow melted, they were going to bring in the cadaver dogs. They were going to bring in the FBI and they were going to start searching for this guy. So, right. Well, in the article, it says that it was after that, uh, after they moved that they went into the house to look for stuff. Is that right? Yeah, it was crazy because, and this is where it's like so TV like. This is a, a really small town, and this sheriff who had been on the police force since she was like in her 20s, I mean, like really young, and then she was promoted to sheriff, uh, it was just looked down on because a woman was a sheriff. So they gave her a hard time and would not give her a search warrant to search this house. No matter, I mean, to me, like, and I'm just a normal person, so I don't know all the rules and protocols, but I mean, they found Kelly Cochran's address in his car right. when they found his car in this parking ride. So to me, wouldn't that say, go check out this house? And, and they didn't. It, it was crazy. And, um, you know, they finally, I think it was, yeah, after he, she went to Indiana or whatever, and they finally got her to admit it. Um, they were able to check things out. Now, when we were there, uh, we, I'm trying, the second time we were there, they had already taken off. Jason and Kelly had already taken off to Indiana. So even though we did not, weren't allowed in the house, we were able to go onto the property. And the, uh, and I hate to keep jumping back and forth. Sorry. Um, but the first time we were out there, I drew an image that I saw. Um, and it was like trees and a path. And, and I felt like there was a significant spot here and a significant spot there. And I drew this out and I gave it to the sheriff. And when we went out there the, the second time, we realized that was their backyard. And the one significant spot was the, a fire pit. And they did find a lot of bone fragment, but it was under, it was, you know, so like if you clear off a fire pit, you're going to clear off the ashes and everything. Mm. But it piles on and over and over and over. So even when you get to that bottom of ash, there's still more under there. And the bone fragments and stuff were actually under, they were like buried under the, the fire pit, not just in it. And so the other significant spot was like by this tree and that pathway leads into the woods. And that's the way they took to bury all his body parts. Now, were the bone fragments from other victims? Were they from Chris? Did they ever find out? Uh, no, they were, they were from Chris. Um, they did find Chris's skull with a hole in it. Actually, Kelly led them to that. Um, I'm not sure if she led them to other areas or if they just, I'm sure they did. I'm sure she led them to, cause I don't, this is, a, like I said, it's a small town, but there's a lot of woods. I mean, just to find stuff is, is ridiculous. Um, so I'm pretty sure that Kelly had led them to the other spots too, but not everywhere. She like didn't lead them to every place, which is just weird. It's like, just the part she chose is maybe it's that control that she wanted. Like she still has one up on them type thing. Right. Right. Like I, like I was saying, it's kind of a jab to be like, you didn't find all of them. Yeah. So, um, even though she had led them to part of it, they, did they fan out and still couldn't find parts of him then? Right. Yeah. They did not find all of him, but, um, yeah, they did find his skull and some other bone fragments. And um, as far as 
her killing people in the past. I, I think that they, I think the sheriff in Indiana, or the, I'm sorry, not the sheriff, the um, investigator in Indiana um, is still working on this case as far as finding out who else she may have killed. Um, okay. I'm not 100% positive that that's the aspect he's still working on, but she has been um, tried for the murder of Chris, and I cannot th- I'm not sure if she was tried for the murder of her husband yet. But for sure, she's been found guilty of killing Chris. I'm pretty sure she was put on trial for both and sentenced. I'm not finding anything that says otherwise. Because um, I know that she was on trial in Iron River. That's where she was found. And she was there for a while, then found guilty. And then I think she, yeah, I think they were sending her to, back to Indiana. Oh, for the for murder that. of Chris. Okay. Yeah. Or of Jason, I'm sorry. Of Jason, right, yeah. Well, then the real question is, where does she serve her time? In Indiana or in... (laughs) Right. Yeah, maybe both. You know, maybe... Because it's like, she's going to have a life sentence. So, I mean, however they're going to do that. I I would say that they're probably going to... And it's just a guess. Keep her in Indiana because Iron River is really small. I don't think they have a prison out there. So, is it like a jail? So, I'm sure it's going to be in Indiana. Um, and that is the last place that she was, you know, killed somebody. So, right. You know, well, one of the other, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the, the one thing that you had said was that they had found that sticky note with her address in Chris's car and Shelly and I were, we watched Dateline. We watched 48 hours, all the cases that we've seen on there, there have been, warrants put out for much less circumstantial evidence than that. So that poor sheriff could not even get a a warrant for something that linked Kelly to Chris. That, that just boggles me. Oh, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous how she was treated. And finally, when the FBI came in, um, I would say, uh, you know, half and half, half the FBI were sort of jerky to her. Um, and she's, she's a, a gorgeous lady in general. And, but she is a tough cop. I mean, she was, she put her heart, mind and soul into this case. She, you know, the sweetest woman ever. You know what she did? She, Chris had two, two sons that he was reconnecting with, which was one of the reasons why he was moving to, um, North Carolina to sort of like reconnect with them and, and start a relationship with them again. And, um, when, she was in contact with with his children, you know, she's like, I am going to find, you know, your dad's killer and we will get justice for this. And they just needed the closure. And they had come up to, you know, go through his things and, and do everything. And they just were so overwhelmed. And the sheriff bought his furniture from them because she felt so bad and they were just so overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have any money, you know, for the funeral, whatever. And so she bought all the furniture and gave them the money just to do something, you know, like she wanted to help. Yeah. And there were, there's other things that I can't really say that she did because it's, you know, personal, but she did some things with her own time and her own money to solve this case. And, I was so happy for her when it was finally solved and, but she was treated terrible, um, when this case was finally solved and she, she just needed a couple weeks to sort of like regroup and it was a mental strain on her and her family. Um, 
But when when she came back, I mean, it was it was really rough, and she's no longer sheriff there. She left. And but the the awesome part of the whole story is that she ended up falling in love with the um, the, the uh, homicide detective in Indiana, and she's oh. actually living in Indiana <laughs> with him. <laughs> so that that's honestly something that I've thought about a lot. Like, um, you there there's been a lot of um down talk about cops and and there are dirty cops don't get me wrong but there are so many good cops as well that end up catching the flack for all these other dirty cops that are putting people in jail for for thing planted evidence and everything else so i i think that just the fact that she had to fight for trying to get this this woman caught because they wouldn't give her a, a uh, search, search warrant. warrant is just a, a credit to her her um, career on the force. And I feel, too, that I'm sure cops go through PTSD just like soldiers do. Oh, definitely. I know of so many cops that have given up because – of the things they've seen. Yep. And I, I commend people who can be a part of the force for as long as they do. So long as they're not dirty, so long as they're abiding by the laws that they are meant to represent. So I, I feel that I'm sure she probably goes through some type of, of PT, uh, PTSD or some type of, mental uh breakdown from from doing the career for as long as she did let alone this case because obviously she had a personal stake in the matter yeah and you know it was um i think i said earlier that it was on crime watch daily with chris hansen the story and she actually started crying during the interview because it just been so long and so hard on her and she you know she's a mom and she felt for his kids and and he was just a nice guy and she just wanted this solved and it was so senseless. And I don't even think we really got into it, but I, Kelly and her husband, you know, framed him. They, she, it was the night before he was, or two nights or something before he was ready to leave the state. She said, well, let's have one last fling. And she invited him over to her house. And in the middle of, of them having sex, I guess her husband shot and killed him. And I mean, that's her story at least. Um, you know, and by the time they did get a search warrant for that house, um, there there were blood splatters and, and whatnot, but the problem with all that is she had they had Kelly had bleached things and so right. much time had passed they couldn't even get those samples to be anything solid. It was all degraded, yeah. Yep. Well, and that I don't think that's that's something that's in the article. It says that she invited him over for sex, but it, it I don't think it says that they were in the middle of it when. Uh, Jason decided to kill him. Oh, actually, she changed her story like five times. So oh. I'm probably just telling you one of her. Yeah, that was her inconsistencies were like, they were like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, she just kept changing her story. And that was one of them. <laughs> okay. So uh, did they try to talk to you about the the murder of Jason? Or was it kind of just an open and shut case because she admitted that she killed him? Oh, no, um, they didn't contact me about anything to do with Jason at all. Okay. Um, I was just, I was just in contact with the sheriff, um, at the time.
And again, it was another odd thing was that, um, so after the second time we had gone out there and I said they, they had left for Indiana, um, and, um, I, I just, I felt like I wasn't getting anything when the second time I was out there and I felt terrible because I really wanted to help. I could tell. And it was, it was interesting. And I, if you don't mind, if I could just go on a side note, cause I am a woman and I do that. <laughs> um, but the, the day that we were leaving to come back home to Wisconsin, um, we, she invited me to her home to say thank you and, and everything. And, and when I was packing at the hotel, all of a sudden I got these numbers in my head and I wrote them down and I told my husband, I said, I, I don't know what these numbers mean. And I think it has something to do with this case. So we'll just bring it to her. And I, I feel stupid. Like here's some numbers, you know, and my husband Scott said, well, they look like coordinates. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I failed geography. I don't know. <laughs> so we go, we go to our house and talk and I, I showed her this and she said the same, she, same thing. She goes, these do look like coordinates. So she put them in Google Maps and it ended up being <laughs> crazy. The, the um, numbers were, um, for the state park out there and she couldn't believe it. And then, as she said that, it was like God spoke to me and said, if you go to Kelly's Facebook page, you're going to, you're going to know like something, you're going to know something. And I instantly told her this and she looked at me, she goes, well, she goes, Kelly actually blocked me from Facebook, but she did not block the police department. So I'll go through the police department's account. And so she did. And the, the front page of Kelly's Facebook was the picture of the, um, the sign for that national state park and come to find out her and Chris had hiked there a lot. And so it was like our confirmation. Yes. And so we were thinking at the time that that meant that that's where Chris was, like that's where he was buried. And so that was one of the first places that they, they took the, the helicopters and everything out, out that way. Um, because they thought we thought for sure that was it, but I think it was just more of a confirmation. Well, so th- we left that there. And then we ended up going to, um, coming back home and it was a, almost a year later and I had again a dream. And my dream was that the sheriff and I were overlooking like some, a really shallow thing of water and it was a bag of items. And I, it was like, I, it was like she was going to find these items and she was going to find what she was looking for. And so I contacted her to tell her this. And she said, I was just going to call you today because Kelly was just arrested for killing her husband, Jason. So we started getting in contact again about all that. So for like any final thoughts on this, do you think that, um, do you think that Kelly has, has any remorse at all? Do you think that she's going through any type of counseling through, the the jail or anything to to try and cope with the these murders or do you think it's just something that she's okay with yeah i don't think that they're trying she's trying to cope with the murder i think she's the murders i think they're they're probably giving her some kind of psychological help as part of a a prison program only because she had tried to commit suicide while she was in there and um, just her her weird ways. She's into really weird art and things like that, too. So I think she's being counseled for her personal issues, but I don't think remorse is one of them. Definitely not. I think I think she's just so matter-of-fact about everything 
And it's just she's void of emotion. She really is. Well, what kind of weird art? Because people would say that the scream is a weird art. So what kind of weird <laughs> art is she into? That's true. Well, no, what I mean is like she would draw some very odd Oh, she would things. create weird Yeah, art. yeah. She okay. would draw some really weird things while she was in jail. So, And, and another thing is she kept trying to want to be interviewed. Like she would say, well, you know, bring a reporter in here and I'll talk to them. Or I'm going to write a book and I need a publisher. That She was just... You know, and, and that goes right along with how serial killers think. Well, it has been super interesting talking about this. I think that uh, God definitely had a hand in it bringing you into it because the sheriff was obviously looking for for some type of help because she couldn't pin it on Kelly at all. Right. So um, I think that uh, I think that there was a a huge intervention here. Even though they didn't stop her from killing Jason, but Jason also was somehow guilty of killing uh, Chris. Whether that was influence from her, they both conspired together. Whatever it was, even though she says it was the opposite, I feel that there is more to it. Like you've been saying. Yeah, definitely. So I think that uh I think there was was some major intervention here. So I thank God and you as well for helping the sheriff trying to to catch this woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible. I just can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I I freak out after I hit a squirrel with my car like I'm traumatized for days. Well, um, I was listening to another podcast on the way home from work today and there was, uh, a, it was a woman that's written a true crime, uh, novel, uh, or not novel, a uh, true crime, um, book about past un, unsolved crimes, uh, as the guest. And some of the stories that she talked about, like there is, I forget where it was, but it, there was an axe murder of this Italian family that was here in the United States in like 1929. And just the stuff that they talked about, there was children murdered. The husband and wife were murdered and, uh, the, the husband and wife were decapitated. The children's heads were bashed in. And it's like, I don't understand. Like I, I get mental illness. I get spiritual attack, but I can't even look at my blood being drawn, <laughs> let alone think. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had like suicidal thoughts about hurting myself and that sort of a thing in the past. And I do battle with them on occasion, but to hurt somebody else, right? I don't know what goes through your mind. I mean, I know what goes through my mind just for hurting myself. So, I mean, it, to hurt a, a, a different human being that supposedly a lot of times you love because that is one of the biggest things that I've picked up from watching Dateline and 48 Hours. Of course, these are just cases that they, they bring out. There's so many more. But most of the time it's about people that supposedly love each other. Yeah. There's, there's, there's something missing, you know, in that DNA there that it's, it's some kind of weird void. Yeah. It, it just looking at 
And and this is why I don't actually watch the news nowadays. I don't know why I watch Dateline in 48 Hours, but there's nothing good on the news anymore. I, I don't think living in Bismarck in in small communities they report on more good stuff than the the uh bigger cities and most of the time that's because there's a lot more crime in bigger cities but it's like there's no good news like i i don't necessarily need rainbows and butterflies all the time but it's like watching politics or people killing each other or hurting each other robberies this world's just so messed up (laughs) i agree i totally agree i can't watch the news either so it's just too dark too heavy it's like there's so much good and they don't even try to balance that out right and that's part of the reason why like we were talking about earlier i'd rather do something like this yeah we talk about weird stuff but I can choose what I talk about where on mainstream media, these are your guys' stories. Go get them. Don't report back to me until you have something juicy, basically, is what it boils down to. Right. Yep. So, all right. That is Herc, our hellhound. He's telling me it's time to feed him. So it's time to wrap things up, guys. So, Heidi, it's been awesome having you back with me. I know. I want to hug my <laughs> microphone. I'm so happy. <laughs> Thanks so, for having me on. <laughs> the, the best thing that I can do for you now is tell everybody where they can find you and the book and if there's any chance of Talk Supernatural coming back, if you want to give that info out, anything is yours. Well, I'm hoping that Talk Supernatural will come back at some point because I love to podcast, but we'll see about that one. <laughs> but as far as my book, uh, it's Daughter of Siva, and you can find it at daughterofsiva.com, and you can also find it on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but... I'm really not on Twitter, so don't go there. But Facebook would be the best way. Um, you can find the book through Amazon, through Barnes & Noble, uh, through Balboa and Hay House, and pretty much any local bookstore will have it too. And any upcoming works will be posted on your website as well, I'm sure, correct? Wink, wink. Yes, it will. <laughs> but also, too, um, I did want to mention that it is under my pen name, Taylor Thomas, uh, not Heidi Linden, only because... It just doesn't work out when people know where you live. So <laughs> it's uh, Daughter of Siva by Taylor Thomas. <laughs> well, the one good uh, thing that came out of my little uh, book signing thing here in Bismarck was I met a local author and we were just chatting it up and she said something about, I don't know how people put their addresses on their websites and stuff. And I said, on the template that I used, it wanted me to put my address, my phone number. I'm like, uh, no. Do you know how many freaks are out there right now? Well, yeah, and I didn't even do that. People looked me up in the phone book, and then when newspapers are doing articles, people started writing me letters. They, like, will look you up. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, folks. Well, that has been the true crime episode of Paratruth Radio. Uh, I want you guys to make sure you check out paratruthradio.com where we have some pretty awesome T-shirts up for sale now. I uh, think that that would be a good thing to get any paratruther for Christmas. Heidi's favorite holiday, by the way, if you've seen her on Facebook at all. I'm an elf. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you check out uh, Paranormal UK Radio Network, Fringe Radio Network, TMV Cafe, and RadioOnPodcast.com. Make sure you check out TaylorThomas.com, right? Yes. Okay. I think so. It's been so long. I don't know. (laughs) Just find me. Just Google me. You'll find me. And uh, just stay tuned, guys. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up, uh, some interesting announcements towards the end of the year. So stay tuned for all of that and much more. Until next time, guys, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Heidi. Talk to you later, guys. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.